Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be back. For those of you new, my name is Doug, and uh, I, I've actually got to come to church here uh, the last three weeks and not speak. And that's not a big deal to you, but I speak just about somewhere every weekend of the year. And this summer, I got to just be here because this is my church, and um, I sit kind of in the back because my wife doesn't like sitting. I like to sit next to Jeff to kind of bug him a little bit before he speaks, but Kathy doesn't like the neck thing, so um, I think it's important we sit together at church when we come. So uh, I went in, in the, the back, but I know it's not a big deal, but I just love being in this community and worshiping this community. Um, I love to hear Jeff speak. I leave challenged. Um, he makes me cry when he cries. I hate that. Uh, but then I start laughing when he does the, you know, and he gets her, this slobbery nose thing. That just pulls me right out of it. I stop crying there. It's just actually kind of gross. Um, but uh, he's great. This church is great. I'm so happy to, to be here. Um, last Saturday, my 22-year-old son was the best man in a wedding of his best friend since junior high. And I've known this kid since he was 12 years old. This was a family affair for us. I actually got to perform the, the ceremony. It was just, it was, it was awesome. But Saturday when I went home, I was totally, totally exhausted. And it's not from dancing, not a big dancer. Actually, people don't like me to dance because it resembles a convulsion and the paramedics come. It's just not pleasant. Uh, but I was exhausted from the from the conversations, is that really for about eight hours on last Saturday, I talked with people, many that I hadn't seen in, in years. And I mean, it was almost like there was this line of people. Now, throughout the day, I just had, I, I don't, I lost track of how many conversations that I had. But the way that I described the aha to my wife as we laid in bed last Saturday night was that I said that Half of the people, not everyone, but half of the people that I talked to last week were tanking their lives spiritually. That they had this, what I would might call or describe a, a spiritual drift. That they had walked away from their faith, from church, from, from Jesus. And it wasn't just the kids a lot of the 22-year-olds that actually were in my youth group that went to a Christian junior high together, it was their parents too. Parents that I had coached teams with. Parents that I had gone on trips to D.C. and Sacramento. You know, those parent-supervised trips. That, uh, adults that I knew very, very well. And as I reflected on all those conversations, if I'm real honest, as a human, it was just sad. As a follower of Jesus, it was discouraging. And as somebody who has taught the Bible for the last 30 years, it was just, it was downright depressing to see where people were spiritually. Story after story of just poor choices. Just so I would remember them all, I just made a little list of not putting names to them, because actually some of you are here. Uh, but <laughs> drug use, alcohol abuse, anger immorality, affairs, judgment, lack of forgiveness and compassion. It was unbelievable. And it was almost like I was, I was a priest that they were just unloading all this stuff that they had done or I had maybe asked the magic question, which is, what are you doing with your life now? 
And uh, it seems like the more wine and beer they drank, the more colorful the stories became. And I woke up last Sunday early. We don't come to the 9 o'clock service. I'm not, this is not my best hour. Uh, but I woke up last Sunday kind of early, uh, and I just, I had this sense of compassion. I just got sad for these people. And then, then there was actually a movement of even just for me as a, as a teacher, a little bit of, like I said, de- depression, where I went, does what I do even matter? The, trying to point people to the person and the teachings of Jesus, does it make any difference in today's culture where people just want to do what, what they want to do? Is faithfulness to the ways of God even possible in the 21st century? And then as I was about to mount my high horse of being a superior Christian, I then began to just think about my own moments of unfaithfulness. Now, my unfaithfulness hasn't manifested itself in adultery or addictions or an abandonment of my faith. My, My unfaithfulness doesn't have as many social and relational implications. It doesn't make for good gossip. But I know unfaithfulness as a follower of Jesus, that I'm still too quick to judge. I know that I'm unfaithful when I'm not as generous as I know I should be. I know that I'm unfaithful when I'm slow to forgive, even though I know what Jesus teaches. I'm unfaithful when my selfishness raises its ugly head and begins to make its way into relationships. And I know that I'm unfaithful when I default to defensiveness instead of humility. Now, unfortunately, I've got my own stories of unfaithfulness, and I'm not standing before you as a hero who has it all together. Um, And I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you can identify with me just a little bit. Okay? All right. I was, I was hoping you'd raise your hand uh, because I didn't want to be here all alone. Uh, and, and actually, in this series that we're doing on, on heroes, um, where we're looking at characters in the Bible where God's story is being told through another person's story, I really believe that today, the hero that we're going to look at today, actually, you and I will be able to relate to him There's some principles. Uh, Unfortunately, his life is so grand and so big, you're going to have to do some study on your own if if you want to. But there are definitely things that we can walk out of here, I think, on a journey to be more faithful. I want us to take a look at the person of Moses. Now, I actually am an expert in Moses. The reason I'm an expert in Moses is because... um, most of my life, I try to read the Bible. Uh, when I say, oh, I, really, I want to read the Bible from beginning to end, I start at the front. And I've probably read Genesis more than any human alive, because it's the you know, first book in the Bible. And then I get to Exodus, and Exodus is where Moses lives. And Exodus is wild. It's fun. There's movies made of it. Exodus is, is awesome. Uh, Leviticus 
that's where I fall apart, right there, is, you know, by the fifth animal sacrifice on the eighth hill with the ninth high priest, and just, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I, I don't want to read this any, anymore. And so, but, so when I restart and start over again, I, I, I know a lot about Moses, and I realize that today as we talk about Moses, for some of you, you know a lot like I do. For others of you, you thought Moses was the name of an NBA basketball player, okay? You don't, you don't know anything about him. You're checking out church. You're checking out God. You're checking out Jesus. You're checking out somebody from the opposite sex, and they come here, and so you came. Whatever it is, I'm thrilled you're here. So what I, I decided to do is I put together a little Moses Minute. I actually, I never practice anything, but I practiced reading this this morning, and I did it under a minute, all right? So here's the Moses Minute for some of you. You already know this. Just get your Bibles. Turn to Exodus. For the rest of you, you don't know a lot about Moses, you've got a minute. Okay, here it is. I'm going to catch you up to speed so you have context with Moses. Ready? Go. The Israelites, who are God's chosen people via the Abrahamic covenant, see Genesis, were in Egypt for 430 years. As their people group was rapidly expanding, the Egyptian pharaohs feared that these Israelites might take charge of the country, so the pharaoh put the Israelites into slavery and ordered all the Israelite baby boys to be killed. Moses is born. Moses' mom puts him into a little reed of baskets, puts him in the water. The Pharaoh's daughter finds him, raises him as her own. Slavery is increased. More bricks, less straw. You've heard that phrase before. The Israelites are crying out to God to save them. Moses grows up. He sees their injustice. One day he gets angry. He sees an Egyptian beating up an Israelite. He kills the Egyptian. Then he fears for his own life. He runs away. He's a shepherd for 40 years. God appears to him in a burning bush. Save my people. Go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, wandering in the desert, Mount Sinai, Ten Commandments, the Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> uh, 40 years of leading people to the Promised Land. Okay, that was a little over a minute. It was a minute and 10 seconds. But that was the best I could do, right? I was actually going to the bathroom this morning and read it a little quicker. Uh, but that is, that's the Moses minute. Now, if I had Moses here, here's what I'd ask him. Moses, how in the world did you stay so faithful to God and what God had called you to do in the midst of that impossible task of leading the Israelites out of Egypt, plus you were surrounded by idiots. How, did you, how in the world did you stay faithful? Because for 40 years, Moses was faithful. As a matter of fact, look in your notes or up on the screen. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, There has never been another like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. I love that description. There's never been another whom the Lord knew. I'm thinking from my own tombstone, I'd like it to say this. There's never been another like Doug. <laughs> whom the Lord actually loves more than you. That's what I wanted to say, okay? But it just has a nice ring to it. Now, here's the deal. Moses was not perfect. Far from it, all right? We are, you heard in the Moses minute there that he, he killed somebody. Uh, Moses actually, I think when you study his life, he faces the same distractions that you and I face today that he faced, you know, a couple thousand 
years ago. So if you have your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen, this is too long of a section, so I didn't put it in your notes, but it's Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up, which is a great call, Moses. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, big word, big word, and big word. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, if YouTube was around then, I would love to see his reaction. I mean, here's a guy who's been a shepherd for 40 years. Okay, 40 years, he's just been out taking care of sheep. All right, now watch what he says. This is in your notes now, in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, pause with me for a minute. (laughs) Moses is in the presence of God. Okay? God's voice is is booming from a bush. Pranks, electronics had not been invented. All right, so I mean, there, there, he's on holy, holy ground, and the voice of God echoes, and he says, Who am I? Who am I to do this? Now, I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. I, I would love for God to appear to me. I would. And I'm sure you've at some times prayed that prayer God, if you would just reveal yourself, if you would just make, make this light turn green. And then I will know that you're real. God, if you would open up a parking spot, then I believe that I will give my life. If you will save me from this situation. I mean, I would love to have some like burning bush experience. I would love to have twigs just combust spontaneously. I would live with that. I'd like a flashlight left on if it just helped me say that that was clearly from God. So then when I go through my life and I doubt God, and there are times when I do doubt God, my wife could say, Doug, what are you doubting for? Remember the twigs that combusted? That was God. Okay, so here, what I'm trying to say is Moses is in the presence of God, and he has doubts. Now, friends, if you think you're going to go through life 
as a follower of Jesus, the God-man, and think that you're not going to have doubts, you're crazy. Okay? Doubts are going to be a part of your spiritual journey. Now, there are different types of, of doubts. Some of you have, um, you have what I would call intellectual doubts, that you have finite thinking, meaning this, you're only so smart, okay? You're only so smart. So your, your mind only goes to a finite degree, and because your finite thinking cannot understand an infinite God, the best way for you to settle that is to say, it's not true, it doesn't exist, because that's a lot easier when finite doesn't understand infinite. So some of you have doubts that way, and I, I understand that. Some of you, you, you can buy the whole God thing, but your doubts are more that, that he actually loves you. That he loves you so much that he resides inside of you through his spirit. That how can he love? I mean, there are 7 billion people on the planet, and he knows me, and he knows my name, and he knows everything about me. And the Bible says that he has the hairs on my head numbered, which is easier for him with some of us than others. Okay? It's not funny. It's just true. All right? And you have doubts there. For many of you, your doubts maybe don't revolve around whether he's real or that he loves you, but... Here's where your doubts lie, that he would want to use you, that you might be an instrument that God could use in, in any way. And honestly, when, when people gather in a faith community like this, typically the first two doubts are minimal. Yes, there are some of you here who, who doubt in those areas, but for many of us in here, we doubt this, this third area, that God would, would use us. Um, and I, I get this. I've been following Jesus since I'm a teenager, and, and I... I mean, even before I step on stage, I speak a lot, and I still struggle. Various degrees of, of doubt. Like, really, me? Why? Why, why do, would people even want to listen to me? What do I have to say? How am I supposed to take your, your word and teach it to people in a way that makes sense to them in the 21st century? Who am, I, get, I get those doubts. For some of you, you have been invited to use your time and abilities to serve other people. And you say, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not sure I have anything to offer. Some of you, you have actually been challenged to get into relationships with others, uh, maybe through Rooted or some type of life group or small group or the beach experience or whatever it is where you as a couple or you as an individual come along other people and you might actually have something to offer them in relationship. And then your doubts flare up. And you're like, what do I have to give? I mean, I just, I just soon, I like the church. I just soon come sit and, you know, hopefully it's a good message and, you know, good music. And then I'll, I'll leave. And for some of you, you're challenged to, to use your life as a vehicle to help other people come to know Jesus. You're asked every week, hey, invite somebody. I'm convinced this. Everybody wants to be invited to something by the way. Everybody wants to be invited to something. They may not say yes, but they want to be invited. And then you go, oh, I just, I don't, I don't know if they're ready. I mean, you know, we have a wall in the middle of our church. That scares a lot of people. You know, whatever it is, the, these doubts. Now, here's the deal. I don't know why Moses doubted. I don't know. It doesn't really, it doesn't really say. We might assume by his life 
that he doubted because of his past. Okay? I mean, murder <laughs> is not a minor character flaw. All right? Realize it had been a lot of years. But our past creeps into our present and creates these doubts. All right? I, my past is not as bad as Moses. I don't have murder on my record. Actually, my past isn't even as bad as some of yours. <laughs> All right? I have files on many of you, and some of you are sick. Like, you, you're sick human beings. You've done some awful things. Okay? Now, like me, how many of you, you got a past? Put your hand up. you got a, you got a past. Yeah. No one has a, a perfect past. But I think one of the reasons that faithfulness to God's ways in the present is an issue is because there are too many of us here that are consumed with our past. And our past plays into our present. I can almost hear Moses saying, I got nothing to offer. Who am I? Have you checked out my resume lately? I've been a shepherd for 40 years. Not even head shepherd. Co-shepherd to my father-in-law. Now, if you don't know much about shepherding, you don't have to be real bright to be a shepherd. Okay, you don't. Okay, it's a, it was a common job. Sheep are dumb. They're just dumb. They follow each other. That when they run, they actually have knees, but they run like this. They don't bend their knees. That's how dumb they are. They have small little brains. They're stupid. So to be a shepherd, it wasn't like you had to be educated to be a shepherd. And now God is calling him to this impossible task. Speaking of impossible tasks, let me take a little pause in my message. And I promised our incredible junior high pastor, Hillary, that I would invite you to an impossible task. Okay? Starting next Monday, we need some people from the 18th to the 22nd to go on a junior high camp. All right? Just let the Spirit of God convict you for a while, all right? So we need some leaders, males and females, to go to junior high camp with these incredible junior hires. So as we're talking about, what do I have to offer? You have blood throwing through your body, okay? You, 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 if you have a pulse, you can go, all right? And Hillary's going to be at the information table afterwards. We need some people. And if you don't show up, 9 o'clock service, the 11 o'clock, have you seen those people? Okay, very, very flaky, all right? So if you don't come through, we're going to have to settle for second best. Uh, so here's Moses. Are, are you kidding me? I, I, I got nothing to offer. I'm not strong. How am I going to do this? I don't even speak well. I, stu, I, stu, I, stu, I stutter, okay? That was part of his excuses. Then take a look. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses says to God, Okay, so suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What's your name? Then what should I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, there is a lot in these few verses, but just look at the first five words. I will be with you. Friends, in the midst of Moses' doubt, Moses standing before God, you've done it before. Who am I? 
I don't know if you're real. I don't get it. I don't, uh, should I do this? I don't know. Should I take this step of faith? Should I be generous? Should I be forgiving? Should I get involved in community? Whatever it might be, God provides a promise that brings assurance of the presence and the power of God. It's not just a promise. It's a promise that provides an answer to his presence and to his power. Now, if I'm you, you might be thinking, okay, but yeah, that was, that was said to Moses back then when he had a big task in front of him. That doesn't translate to the 21st century. And I would say, not too fast, Spanky. Okay, because what we've got here, the roots of this promise, I will be with you, are all throughout New Testament theology. Take a look at this one I put in your notes, Ephesians 3, 16, 17. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit. Where is the spirit? In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell. If you have a pen, circle the word dwell. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell means home, that he may make his home, that God's spirit is at home. So when the promise to Moses says, I will be with you, that was not a promise that was made thousands of years ago to one person in the course of history. That is a promise that is available to Doug Fields today. It is a promise that's available to you today. If you want more on that, I put you several notes in, or verses in your notes that you can look up on your, your own. Okay? Then he says in verse 14, I am who I am. Tell them, I am who I am. Now, on the surface, that one seems really odd. Uh, can I tell them who's calling? I am who I am? Oh, Oh, okay, please hold. Okay. Now, it just, I am who I am. Now, in the Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament, okay, so we've got the Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, Greek. In the Old Testament, I am who I am, the words there are Aweh, Asher, Aweh. And some of you know that Aweh sounds like Yahweh. Yahweh is the name of God which you can't pronounce because it has no, no vowels in it. So Yahweh became the Hebrew name of God. Translated into English, we get Jehovah. Now you move to the New Testament. In Greek, we see the word Lord. So when you're reading your Bible and you see Lord in caps, you go to the Old Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah, New Testament, Lord. So let me simplify it, bottom shelf. I am who I say that I am, God is saying, I am God, the God of the past, the God of the present, the God of the future. So you tell him that God sent you. So God's answer to Moses in the midst of his doubt is really this this double whammy. I am with you, his presence, and I am who I am, his power. And I want to say to you, no matter where you are spiritually, if you are leaning in towards God, that you are desiring, wanting some relationship, most of us in here, most of us have crossed the line spiritually, and we've entered into a relationship with God, may I say to you, in the midst of your doubts, God is working. So last Sunday, we're driving to church. 
And I say to Kathy, my wife, I say, I really, I need you to pray for me. Um, I have such a terrible attitude about um, tomorrow getting on a plane. Um, I was invited to be on a television show in Virginia Beach. And uh, the show is called The 700 Club with Pat Robertson. He's been around forever. He ran for president. It's seen by about 3 million people um, every day. And so I've been invited to promote my new book that you, we talked about a couple months ago, um, Be Her Hero. It's a book for men. Uh, be Her Hero, Seven Ways to Be Her Hero, The One Your Wife Has Been Waiting For. It's been picked up by news media, etc. They want me for six minutes of television. Six minutes. So I've got to get up at 5 on Monday, catch a 7 o'clock flight. I get into Virginia Beach um, Monday, Monday night, Tuesday morning. I record the show, actually two shows there. Then I fly back. I get back into John Wayne, Orange County at 10 o'clock. Two full days for what I thought was six minutes. They actually added another show, so I got another seven minutes. So for 13 minutes of television. And I just I don't want to go. It's summer. My kids are home. Um, I just, I'm like, Christian television is stupid anyway, okay? <laughs> only, only weird people watch Christian television. So literally, I am like, I'm angry. It's not um, my, you know, it's basically when you sign a book deal, you are agreeing to a certain amount of publicity, and this was part of the publicity that I agreed to a long, a long time ago, but I have a terrible attitude about it. So I'm sitting in the last row behind, which is a terrible seat, behind that pole. I had noticed right before there's nobody, there's, those two seats are open right now, but they weren't when we got to the 11 o'clock service. Uh, that's where we, we sat. And great service, love being here, wasn't really thinking about the terrible attitude that I had. After the service was over, I wandered down to see a friend. Now, when I speak, Jeff and I, we race out the side door and we go stand at the back and say hi to people. I wasn't speaking. I wasn't saying hi. To, I mean, I was saying hi to people. I was like, no, I'm not saying hi. I was, you know, standing in the back because people were leaving. Hi, 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 hi. Go to talk to my friend. There's a guy at the 11 o'clock service. His name is Nasser. He sits right in the front. Nasser comes up to me and he says, hey, um, will you pray for me? He said, and then he tells me about this operation that he's having this week. And I, it was Monday. And I said, oh, absolutely. I'd be happy to pray for you. As a matter of fact, I'll be praying for you before you even get out of bed. Because I'll be up at 5 o'clock going to the airport. Nasser, I promise I will be praying for you. And he says to me, where are you going? And I go, oh, okay, let's trade prayer requests. Because I need you to pray for me. And I tell him, I'm flying to Virginia. I'm going to be on the 700 Club. And I just, I don't want to go. i got a terrible attitude. And he says gets real serious. In 1984, in my college dorm room, I'm flipping channels, and I watched the 700 Club, and I can't change the channel. I'm mesmerized. And in that moment, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, as he says it, I get these chills, which I feel like it's God's Spirit saying, Doug, I got you. I got you. I open doors. You walk through it. I got you. Now, here's the deal about Nasser. I don't talk to him every time I'm here. I know who he is, but I don't talk to him. 
There was 1,000 plus people here last week. God, in His orchestration of working in my life, used one other... See, I have too much faith to believe that was a coincidence. Okay? That in God's design that He says, I began a good work in you, I will continue that work until it is finished. He's got to do some work in me. And He used a brother that is part of this community, filled with the Spirit, to lead him over, thinking he wants me to pray for him. Okay? And, uh, and, and uses that to reach into my heart and, and say, Doug, I am who I am, and I got this. Changed everything. Now, I wish I had a great ending to this story. I mean, I wish I could say, you know, Billy Graham saw me on television and called, and he's really a Christian now, based on what I said, okay? Uh, that, that has yet to happen. I don't know. I don't know what the story is or how God is going to use that. But what I do know is that when you and I doubt, God doesn't stop working. Because where we have his presence, we have his power. And he's not distant. I think for many of us, we're just too busy to sense his presence. We're too loud to hear his still, small voice through his spirit. And I wonder, what if the people at that wedding, the ones who had spiritually drifted, what if every day they, they woke up and they grabbed onto this promise, I will be with you. Who am I? I am who I am. And who I am is enough. I wonder what their lives would look like. Now, I live in the real world, and I know that your real world and my real world is filled with, with challenges. For some of you, your, your job has disappeared. For others, you, you work for an unpleasable boss. Um, you haven't recovered from the economic situation that, that we're in. You're a student, and you have failing grades, and you don't know what your future is. You're a parent, and your kids are sick. You're a mom, and your kids are in diapers, and you're always tired. Your parents are aging. Your parents are in diapers. They're moving back into your house, and that's driving you crazy. I've actually told my father-in-law, you can move in after your third stroke, uh, is what I've told him. Uh, you, you, you know, life is difficult. You know, I, you, you, some of you, I know you've lost a spouse, or your spouse is cheating on you, and you wish you could lose him. You don't feel like being married anymore. There's single people in here. They, you want to get married. You're tired of being single. I get it. Life is a challenge. Moses had those same challenges. Okay? I mean, he, uh, think about this. You're 80 years old, and I'm going to use you to bring people out of captivity that have been captivity for 430 years. Because I love them. And here's some things you need to know about these people that I love. <laughs> they won't always be happy with you. Um, they're a little prone to miracle memory loss. They'll see a miracle, but they'll forget about it. And then they'll also worship cattle. But aside from that, they're great folks, all right? And, and I'm going to use you. Okay, Moses had challenges. And 
take a look at these, these challenges. They said to Moses, this is in Exodus 14, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. In Exodus 16, 2, it says, the whole community of Israel spoke bitterly against Moses. The whole community was over 2 million people. In Numbers chapter 14, it says, the voice, their voices rose up in a great chorus of complaints. Can you imagine that great chorus of complaint? You stink. We hate Moses. You know, whatever it was right there, all right? Now, what did Moses do in the midst of these challenges? What did he do? Here it is. You're going to love this. (laughs) He asked God to kill him, okay? (laughs) That's what he did. (laughs) In Numbers chapter 11, verse 11, Moses asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. By show of hands, how many of you have ever had a meltdown? Okay, let me see. There's a Moses meltdown. Okay. What about this? What about a spiritual meltdown? Have you ever just thought about tanking it all? Walking away from God, from faith, from church? I mean, you know, you hear about all these people that have great dreams of what they're doing with their life, and you're like, why don't I have those dreams? You see a faith in another person, and they're living a life, and you look at their life, and you go, why isn't that my story? I mean, I go to to church. You come here and you hear a message and you're inspired to change. I want to change. And then before you get out of the carport, you're yelling at your kids. And you, for some reason, you can't bring it about to change. Or, you know, following Jesus would be so easy if Christians weren't so weird. Have you ever had that spiritual meltdown where you just wanted to tank it all? Let me just bring this to the nugget I want you to leave with. What I see as I study Moses, it's really an exercise in simplicity that Moses realized, he realized that God kept his promise. I will be with you, presence. I am who I am, power. Some of us in here today, the only reason you're here is you just need to be reminded that God is with you and he's powerful enough to bring healing to that situation. I don't know what your situation is. I just know the character and nature of God. And it's painfully simple when you study his life. And some of you, don't take my word for it. Study it on your own. Go, go read 
Exodus. Read Deuteronomy. Read Numbers. And find out about Moses. But Moses, let me summarize everything. We did real simple. Because a lot of us, when we have a spiritual drift, here's what we think. You know, Doug, I... I'd like you to rebaptize me. I think that's what I need. I just need to be rebaptized. Well, you might. You also might just need a flick in the head, too. Okay? You also might need to just quit looking for the big moment and just start doing what you know you should be doing. I put it in your notes. It's real simple. It's almost embarrassingly simple. Okay? What did Moses do? He was getting before God on a regular basis. All throughout Exodus. He's always talking to God. In Exodus 34, it's not in your notes, but he says this. Moses' face glowed. Some translations say it was radiant because he had been with the Lord. Gets with God on a regular basis. He did what God told him to do. Page after page after page, chapter after chapter, he did what God told him to do. There's one exception to that in Numbers 20, which kept him out of the promised land. Some of you know that. But God told him to do weird things. All the plagues, that's weird. Take your staff and strike a rock and water will come out of it, that's weird. And he continues to do what God told him to do. And thirdly, he constantly pointed out God's goodness. I want you to get this. Because honestly, I talk to so many people who live lifeless spiritual lives. They're, They're spiritually weak. They're They're relationally anemic. Get before God. Do what he tells you to do and point out his goodness. That means pause to praise him. That's what we do through song. That's what you do through through prayer. I talk to a lot of people, you know, I just, I want to find a church that's deep. Everybody, it seems like we want deep. And that you want to learn some Bible trivia or trinket or give me the Greek word for gnat. Like, in, you know, when Moses, the plague of gnats, what's the Greek word for that? Okay, we, we love that kind of stuff. Buy a commentary. You can read all that kind of stuff in a commentary. Friends, you know what deep is? Here's what's deep. Faithfulness. What's deep? Obedience is deep. Forgiving someone when you don't feel like forgiving them, that's deep. Deep is not what the Greeks thought about, do I forgive seven or 70 times? That's not deep. Deep is turning your cheek. Deep is not learning that alfalfa is the Greek word for cheek. You get my point. What am I saying? Get before God. Do what He tells you to do. If you need a starting place, Read the Sermon on the Mount, chapter Matthew 5 through 7. Do what he tells you to do and point out God's goodness. In your bulletin, I put a little card together. You can tell I put it together because it's, it's painfully plain. This is, this is my design chops that I have. Um, bold, and I centered one of them. So this is, this is pretty much it. Okay? Um, some of you can make this real pretty. You can design it yourself. You can put it on Pinterest or sell it at Etsy. Uh, you know, just let me know. So here, here's what I want you to do. This is how we're going to move to a response. I want you to take out this card. On the front, it says God's promise. Promise of his presence, I will be with you. Promise of his power, I am who I am. What I want you to do on the back side of this as we move to prayer and singing is 
I want you to write down what is the distraction in your life right now that's either causing you to doubt, the distraction that is keeping you from faithfulness. I want you to write it down. If it's too vulnerable for you to write it down because you're afraid somebody will read it, just put initials. If you're sitting next to the distraction whose name should be on here, just put a dot, all right, and you know what that is. Then what I want you to do this week, put this in a place where you're going to see it, maybe on your mirror, okay? Maybe it's at work because that's the place that is, it, is, it is distracting your faithfulness. Maybe you need to just pin this on to one of your kids or, you know, there, whatever, okay? And maybe you need to come up and, and be prayed for. But what I want you to realize this week is that when you're, when you're doubting, God says, I will be with you. When you're fearful, God says, I will be with you. When you're facing challenges this week, I will be with you. When you're in conflict, I will be with you. Who is I? I am who I am. And who I am is enough for you. Let's pray together. Again, if you need to be prayed for during this time of singing, come up and be prayed for you need to write out a prayer request, please do that as well. Yeah, we're people who we don't want to drift. And yet it is so easy to take our eyes off of you. I thank you for the example that you've given us with Moses and the simplicity and yet the complexity of the life that he lived, but the simplicity of what he did as he spent time with you, as he did what you asked him to do. And as he pointed out your goodness, may we be people who learn to do that. May we just practice today and then try it again tomorrow. Thank you that in the midst of our unfaithfulness, that your presence doesn't leave us. And we're grateful for that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.